I think to understand this, this gospel, we, ha- we have to get inside the disposition of the apostles, okay? So remember that they, they saw their blessed Lord come into Jerusalem, you know, Palm Sunday. Everyone's rejoicing, celebrating him, you know, proclaiming him to be a king. So great fanfare. He comes into Jerusalem. By the end of the week, they're rejecting him. They're calling for his execution. And in fact, he is... Uh, you know, he's, he's tortured and ultimately killed on the cross, right? And in fact, they were so afraid that all but John weren't even there when they, you know, in the presence of the Lord when he died because they were fearful. I mean, if they're going after our leader, if they're going our, after our master, they're gonna come after us next. So the apostles are afraid that the, the religious leaders are gonna turn on them as well. So the Lord you know, obviously dies, he's buried. And what happens with the apostles? They're in hiding in fear for their lives. And that's where we find them as we begin this gospel today. They're still in fear for their lives. The doors are locked, right? They're, they're keeping everybody out. And then we're told that, and again, this is Jesus's resurrected body. So there's, it's, it's hard for us to know for sure, but there's some sort of bodily, bodiliness because you can touch him but there's also something you know, radically different about his nature such that he can come through the locked doors in their midst. And when he does so, the first thing he said to them is, peace be with you. Even though you deserted me, even though you were not there at the cross, even though you did not bury me, and now you're in hiding, no longer being faithful to the mission I gave you, Despite all that, despite the fact that my death on the cross, also for you apostles, you know, you are somewhat responsible for it insofar as you are sinners, he doesn't come before them and say, feel bad. He doesn't come into their midst and say, feel guilty, feel ashamed. Why were you not good enough, you know, apostles or none of that? He comes into their midst and just says, peace be with you. And what he's conveying with those words is, we are reconciled. We're fine. Our relationship, it, it's better than fine. In fact, rejoice. He shows them his hands and his side, the marks of the crucifixion. And they rejoice, which tells us something about the Lord's disposition and, of course, their own. That even though the, though the Lord is coming and saying, look at how I suffered, he's not saying it in such a way to make them feel bad. He's saying, look what we did together. Look what I was able to do because of of the Father and in cooperation with the Father's will. Look at what has happened. This is a time for rejoicing because I am victorious over the grave. And of course, the disciples rejoice. And then he, just as he's merciful with them, he tells them, look, I'm going to breathe on them, gives them the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you are now given my ministry of reconciliation. So just as Jesus previously would forgive sins in his own name because he's God, now he tells his apostles, you will forgive sins in my name. You will carry on this mission of reconciliation. It is now your job. I hand it on to you. You are now to be the ones who express and actually give my healing and mercy 
to my church. And of course, historically, that's what we did as Catholics. There were only Catholics then. So the, the, the apostles, the first bishops, and then ultimately the priests understood that they had been given by God his power to forgive sins. And we've been doing it ever since, ever since. This is the answer to the question, why do I have to confess my sins to a priest? It's right there. The short answer, and basically the short answer I will always give you is because Jesus said so. But the more expansive answer is clearly Jesus, and and this isn't the only place he does it. Clearly Jesus gave his authority to forgive and retain sins to his apostles. And they understood that this was not just a power that they received, but it was something that they could hand on to those who came after. So that the ministry of reconciliation and healing, the central ministry of Christ, could be handed on from generation to generation. Now, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas gets kind of a bad rap, I think. Doubting Thomas, you know, poor guy. I mean, he's basically just me. That's what I would have done. Where I didn't get to see him. I want to see him too. I mean, he probably just felt left out. Why wouldn't he? You know, everyone else got to see Jesus and he was off buying groceries. And, you know, he's like, hey, I was getting the groceries. Couldn't you have waited? Could you have kept him here? So he comes back and they're like, we've seen the Lord. He's like, forget it. Unless I see it, I'm not even going to believe you. So the Lord, because he, he recognizes, you know, that, that Thomas missed it, that Thomas was sort of left out or felt left out. Of course he would. We all would. And so the Lord comes back the next week, same thing, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, okay, feel the marks and believe and believe that it is me. And of course, Thomas, given this great gift, expresses those words of faith, my Lord and my God. The Lord knows that we need these kinds of experiences. Thomas needed it. The apostles needed it. And one of the ways that he helps us to to buoy our faith, to raise us up, to help us to be stronger, is he sends the Spirit. You know, we'll be hearing about the Spirit coming, of course, and we'll celebrate Pentecost um, in just a few weeks. But the reason why God gives the Spirit is so that his presence may dwell within us always. So even though the Lord Jesus is going to leave, ascend, He will send the Spirit to confirm in us his presence so that he can be within our hearts and our souls always. He knows that our our lives of faith are going to be up and down. You know, the people are going to leave him. They're just like the apostles left him alone on the cross, that people are going to leave at times. They're going to question. They're going to be angry at him. They're going to wonder, where is God? They're going to experience their own suffering and and doubt and and wonder, you know, about the meaning of all things. It's just natural that we would do that. And God knows this. He doesn't sit back and say, too bad, get over it, you know, feel guilty, feel ashamed because I had to die on the cross for you. None of that. There's not a hint. And he could have done it, right? He could have come back into that room and said, "You, you knuckleheads, you left me. And what are you doing hiding? I told you what to do. Go out and preach. Now nah, we're, we're good here. You know, he could have been really disappointed in them. But he's not. Not at all. Not at all. I wonder how many times we've even considered that. Is God disappointed in me? 
Is God upset with me? You know, will the Lord forgive me? Am I good enough to even be in church? You know, is there lightning coming down? I hear that so many times. It's coming for some of you. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. I mean, (laughs) there's a couple of you I got my eye on, but for the most of you, it's not. But we wonder these things, you know, we think this, am I good enough, you know? And, and in one sense, none of us are good enough because how could we be good enough, right, in that sense? But the greater, uh, the greater expression of that is that it's Christ who makes us good enough because of his grace, because of his death on the cross, because of what he gives us in the sacraments. It's the Lord who makes us worthy. We can't do it on our own and he doesn't expect it. He went and died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to, and we couldn't make a perfect, perfect enough sacrifice to make up for our sins. He does it for us, and he does not lord it over us. It's a free gift. And just like he comes to those disciples and he says, we are healed. Peace be with you. We are healed. We are fully reconciled. We have, you know, our relationship is back. He says the same to us. I desire from you a free act of love and faith toward me, just as I give you a free act of love. He desires that kind of response. The coercion, the guilt, the shame, all of that nonsense is largely made up by human beings who erroneously preach that. But when you look at what the Lord is saying, it's always welcoming. He's saying, look, here is salvation. It can be yours if you want it. All you have to do is take it. It's a gift. Say yes, it's yours. Is it that simple? It is that simple. We don't have to earn it. And so as we continue to to celebrate Easter, and we continue to reflect on these mysteries, the great gift of his death and resurrection is given to us freely not to make us feel bad that in some way we were the cause of it, but instead to say, here is our God who loves us so much that he bails us out, that he fixes the problem. He fixes it so that we can be free and that we can live in eternity and peace with him. Please stand.